After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. But the word of the Lord came to him. Your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. But he said, Lord God, how am I to know? And the Lord said, Bring me a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. When birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot, a flaming torch, passed between the pieces. This is the word of the Lord. In my Sunday school class, we're moving again through the books of the prophets. We've dealt with the major ones, the really long ones, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And now we're dealing with the 12 minor prophets. Not minor because their message is unimportant, but simply because they produced smaller books, shorter writings. It is not unusual in reading these books of prophecy to read, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Micah, Nahum, and the others. But this passage we've just read together is the only place in the five scrolls of the Torah that these words appear. And the word of the Lord came, this time to Abram. I want to say four things. Number one, one of the themes during Lent occurs again and again in these passages appropriate for the season in this case, it's God who asked the question, Abram, what do you want from me? What do you want? It's been years since God had his first conversation with Abram and Sarah when he promised them a child after they'd been childless all of these many years. Pack up your tent, roll up your bed, come with me. They moved with him all the way to Haran in the west and southward down into Canaan. Years have passed, no baby. What do you want most from me, God asks. Mark Richard was born of Cajun parents down in South Louisiana. His father was an alcoholic. His mother, a woman who had long bouts of severe depression. Mark says his father was a dreamer. He always dreamed that things were going to be much better, but didn't know how to make them so. When these dreams did not come true in South Louisiana, he moved his family to Texas. They didn't come true. He moved his family north to Kansas. The dreams didn't come true. He moved east all the way to the state of Virginia. And then, of course, left his wife and children. Mark said, I grew up a troublemaker. I was angry about the divorce. I felt somehow responsible, even though I was not. And so I became a troublemaker. The first time I was in jail, a man bailed me out of jail. Turned out he was the father of one of my friends. I did not know my friend's father was a preacher. 
when he had paid my bail money, he tried to talk to me about a different way of doing things. I wasn't ready to hear. And so I continued to make wrong decision after wrong decision. And then one day I decided maybe I'd write down some of the things that had been happening to me. And I felt I was doing pretty well with that. I'd save my money and save my money. And finally, for $2,000, got into a writing course. And it really helped me. The first thing Mark published won a Hemingway Prize. His most recent book, though, is more autobiographical. And he tells how his life finally changed most of all. He went back to Virginia to see his mother. And he said, my mother was happier than I'd ever seen her in my life. And I discovered she was helping physically build a new church. Monday through Friday, she was out there working. It was hot. Most of the people building this new church were African-Americans. She was having the time of her life. She was having so much fun, I grabbed a hammer myself. A few days later, a paintbrush. And then on Sunday, I went to worship with her and all the others who were building that church. And I saw their joy. I heard them when they sang. I listened to this book from which they read. I was moved by the depth of their prayers. I heard the preacher say, There's one God, and he knows your name cares what's happening to you and wants good and only good to come to you, grieves with you when bad things are happening to you. And I believed. I believed. Point two, this writer in Genesis says, Abraham was told by God, go outside the tent. Look up at the stars. Count them if you can. And Abraham looked up at the stars, realized he couldn't count them, of course. And that if the one who had blasted these billions of stars into the sky had come to speak to him and to tell him not to be afraid, that he was still going to be a father and founder of a new nation of people, he believed what he was hearing was true. Larry Hallen has written that he grew up in Texas the very first few years of his life. His father was a roughneck. I know that world. My father worked in that world for 43 years at Carthage. I lived at a little compressor station six miles outside of Carthage on the Shreveport Highway going east out of Carthage. I know the world of roughnecks, but my dad worked for one company for 43 years. Larry's dad had to follow the drilling rigs. He said that meant he moved my mom and us every few months. Little towns across West Texas, finally into westernmost Oklahoma, and finally, the drilling company he worked for moved to Wyoming. And we all went to Wyoming, where he continued to be a roughneck. But I remember a little town in Texas one time. We had just moved there. And my mother and father had asked about schools. We'd been told that a bus would come right past. 
So the next morning, he said, I was standing out there at the road waiting for the bus when suddenly two bigger boys came by in a car, slowed down, and one of them screamed, Hey, white trash, your bus comes on the other side of the road. And the other one screamed, Well, he's not just white trash. He's oil field trash. And then they drove away. I crossed the road, and the bus came. But you know what I discovered in every little town in Texas, Oklahoma, and Wyoming? There was a Methodist church. And they would let me come to Sunday school. They would let me go to vacation Bible school. When I got bigger, the one I was in took me to camp. I got baptized. I was confirmed. I heard what they were saying to me was, nobody here called you white trash. Nobody here called you oil field trash. Everybody in every little Methodist church called me Larry and acted as if I were somebody important. And in one of those little churches, I heard God call me to be a preacher. And I became one. Today, he is the General Secretary of Communications for the United Methodist Church Worldwide. I believed, he said. I believed. Number three, this author says, and Paul loved this passage, he quoted in his letters, Abraham believed, and that belief was counted to him as righteousness. The word righteousness means literally right standing. You mean we stand right with God when we trust that God knows our name, cares, loves us? If we believe that to be so, we stand right with God? If we open that door, as Dr. Kroll did us again this morning, he will come in. At 8.30 this morning, I asked this choir if they were old enough to remember David Duchovny. There was a blank look on their faces. I'm not sure they did. David Duchovny's in his 50s now. But he contributed one chapter to a new book that's just been published about coaches. My best coach. And so David Duchovny's chapter, he talks about his favorite coach. He said, I was another one of those his mother and father had divorced. And I'd grown up thinking I was somehow responsible for that. I was angry, angry. We lived among the poorest in Manhattan Island, New York City. But somebody helped me get a scholarship to a very fine school called Collegiate. I was still angry at the world. I really wanted everybody to understand I don't care. I had long moppy hair. When I went out for the basketball team, I thought, this is something I can do. And I shot the ball every time it came to me. And if anybody complained, I cursed. They called a foul on me, I cursed. Sometimes they called a technical on me, set me on the bench. We went 5-18. and 18. And then Collegiate brought in a new coach. And that new coach looked at me. I'm sure he could tell. I was trying every way I knew how to say, I don't care. I don't care. 
And he said, son, you're going to need to cut your hair so you can see the ball when somebody throws it to you. <laughs> I understand you have a repertoire of foul language. I want to tell you something. I will never curse, and neither will you. Are we clear about that? I understand you like to shoot the ball. You play for me. You're going to play defense. You're going to fight for every rebound. He said it turned our team around. It turned our team around. We did not become the best on Manhattan Island, but I believe we all became the best we could be. He said, I don't remember best the wins we had. I remember a loss we had. We fought hard to win that game. And we lost right at the buzzer. We lost. And we dragged into the dressing room, and here he came. And he could hardly get out the words. He hit his own chest with his fist and said, For each of you, one pint right from here, right from here. He said, That's why 50-year-old men still tear up when they talk about their coaches. If they ever had a good one, they can still tear up when they talk about him. Because if you've ever had a relationship that helped you be the best you could be, that's as good as you can hope for. And that's what God does, see, for all of us. That relationship that helps us be as good as we're capable of being. Number four. Doesn't this story end strangely? What is all of that about cutting up all those animals? Even after Abraham believed, and that was counted to him as righteousness, then he still said to God, but, but give me a sign that you're really going to make this happen. I mean, it's been years since we talked last. Sarah and I still have no children. And God said, I want you to bring me a heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a dove. Now, Abraham knew what was going on here because the pronoun he is used, but it's closest to Abraham. So Abraham brought all these and then proceeded to cut them in two and putting one pile of the halves here and the other pile over there and then sat back as the sun beat down on his head and on those dead carcasses, the buzzards started to fly. Buzzards gathered, and old Abram's out there shooing them away. Go away. Go away. And finally exhausted, he sat down, and it got dark. He fell into a deep sleep, and then he woke up. And what he saw, those two piles of flesh and an incense pot, and a torch passing between them. You see, Abraham understood that the way people made covenants in his day was to dramatize one's commitment by saying, if I should ever violate this covenant, may I end up like all of these animals. But in the story, Abraham never goes between the carcasses, only God. God says, 
I don't know if I can count on you, but you can count on me. You can count on me. Dr. Fred Craddock says, he grew up in a small town. There was a boy about his age that just believed whatever people told him. Said you could tell him they're giving a free watermelon slices down at City Hall. He'd jump on his bicycle and ride away. If you said the President of the United States is going to lead a parade in our town tomorrow, he has what time? And then one summer, Fred says, an evangelist came to our town. And he preached that there's only one God, that he knows everybody's name, that he cares the same for every one of them, that he loves every one of them, and that he loved so much that he came in flesh and blood to help them understand. You see, this text is appropriate for Lent because when we get to the end of Lent, we're going to see flesh nailed to a Roman cross. But God is saying, can I count on you? You can count on me. And Fred said, you know, that friend of mine sat there every night and listened to that evangelist and he believed it. He really believed it.